All right, so the reason I'm so squirrely this morning is because when it snows, I've been trained. Have you been trained when it snows? Who here has had a snow day when you were a kid growing up in school? Snow day? Some of you don't even know what that means. It means when it snows so much and they cancel school. So whenever it snows, it just is this training in me, this like brainwashing that that day is a free day. You just get to go out and play. And there's a couple times I remember in high school when, you know, the midterm semester things in January, and we had snow days and so in finals. So I didn't have to, like, prepare, and so it also helps me procrastinate when it snows. I just think it's a procrastinating day. Well, there is a book. Somebody didn't procrastinate. This guy named A.J. Jacobs wrote a new book, um, Thanks a Thousand, A Gratitude Journey. And um, several of you sent me um, some podcasts to listen to about this. And now, I guess he was just in the Wall Street Journal here yesterday or so. And this book is coming out on Tuesday, and that's fun. But what A.J. Jacobs writes about in this book is his gratitude project. Um, so he is not a person of faith or any religion, but he wanted in life to not be cynical, but to live a life of thanks and gratitude. So at dinner, he would say thanks with his family to the farmer and you know, the producer of whatever they were eating, and to be thankful. And his kids said to him, hey, dad, why are you saying these things? Because the farmer can't hear you. Why don't you go tell them thank you? And so that got the idea started that he wanted to say thank you to everybody involved with creating his cup of coffee every morning. And so this book is about that and the process of gratitude and his findings in it. So you think about this. Um, it's easy to say thank you to the barista who hands you your coffee. And maybe it's theoretically easy to go to Columbia and thank the farmer um, for producing the coffee. But he went through all the process to thank the truck driver who carried the beans to wherever they needed to go and then wherever they needed to go again. He also went and thanked the yellow stripe on the road painters, thanking them for keeping everybody in their lane, keeping his coffee safe to get from here to there. A really interesting one is he went to the warehouse and thanked the person, the company, person that was doing the pesticide control so that there's no bugs in his coffee. I mean, that person was kind of shocked, actually, to be thanked. Um, another good one was he went to Minnesota, and in Minnesota went to the um, iron mine and thanked the miners for mining the iron ore that was used to make the coffee roasters. So he just went and tried to thank every person possible um, involved in making his cup of coffee. And in that, he learned a lot. And in particular, one thing he learned is simply the act of noticing. You know, he's a cynical person, so a lot of things can be negative in his life and can see the negative very easily. But this is what he said about the act of noticing, that hundreds of things go right every day, and we don't notice them. But instead, there are a few things that go wrong, and they get all of our attention. It's fascinating that there's all these things going right, and we just take them for granted. But if one thing goes wrong, ooh, do we get mad. Here's a quote from his book, the first chapter, which you can read online. Um, if something is done well for us, the process behind it is largely invisible. Isn't that interesting that it's largely invisible how this good thing happened? And we're just not paying attention. All right. We are in this series, um, being thankful when you're not feeling thankful. And a phrase that Susie likes to use is, 
flip the script. And in this idea with A.J. Jacobs of flipping the script from the negative and to see and to notice the positive. So things do not appear in vacuum. If you've been blessed, someone else did the blessing. If you've been inspired or felt moved by someone breathing life into you, somebody else had to do that breathing. If you've received, someone else gave. If you've benefited in some way, someone paid that cost. So noticing and paying attention. You know, when we're talking about this not feeling thankful, in our lives, resentment is very real. And resentment comes when things don't go our way. We don't feel like we're in control. And there's also times when we feel gratitude naturally, like something goes well and we feel grateful. But how do you move from resentment to gratitude? How do you flip the script from resentment into gratitude? Last week I talked about seeing all of life as a gift. Seeing all of life as a gift. And if you've been thinking about that this past week, how much of life do you see as a gift? How much life do you even see? And the idea is that everything that comes to me is for me. And it's not for me in maybe the way we always think, but everything that comes to me is for me in that it is for my formation. It's for my formation into the likeness of Christ. We all know that everything that comes to me is not for my pleasure because there is pain. There's hard. There's difficulty. We know that in this life, pain is inevitable and no one is exempt. But everything that comes to me is for me and I have a choice how I respond to that pain. I have a choice in what I do moving forward. You could say, that the opposite of gratitude is resentment, is entitlement that leads to resentment. Gratitude on one side, opposite, entitlement. And one way to live is for us to live in a place of entitlement that leads to resentment. Now, this is an option we can choose. And entitlement is believing oneself to be inherently deserving of privileges, and special treatment. Believing that you are special and you should deserve it. And that often leads to resentment when we don't get that special treatment or when we experience pain. And resentment, resentment is bitter indignation at having been treated unfairly. You know, this past Friday we did this big men's Chilean poker night and afterwards, I, we were talking and I made the comment that poker is not fair. It is not fair. And here's why it is not fair. So we're playing, and I had, at one moment, kind of the best hand I'd had all night. I had two pairs, right? And I was very excited. If you can think about me thinking I'm entitled to win and to get all the chips to come to me. Well, what happens? Somebody, I'm not going to name names, but... Somebody else had three sixes, and they got all the chips, and I got none. 
poker is not fair because I don't get what I want. If I'm entitled to get what I want, poker is not the game for me. This feeling of entitlement, even in the simple game of poker, can lead to resentment. After, as we're talking about it, someone pointed out to me that poker is actually fair because we all signed up for and agreed to the rules ahead of time. And one of the rules is not that I get what I want. So poker might be a silly example, but how often in our lives do we have resentment because I didn't get special attention or I'm having some pain? In life, we have to deal with the hand we are dealt, whether it is good or bad. When it's good, it's somewhat easier, but when it's a bad hand we are dealt, God still invites us into a way of life with him where we are choosing him and we are choosing gratitude. So the alternative way to live, so if one way to live is entitlement, the alternative way to live is to live as if life is a gift that leads to gratitude. The gift, think about what a gift is. It's a thing given willingly to someone without payment, like a present, no expectation for any return. And gratitude is this readiness to show appreciation and to return kindness. Isn't that what gratitude is just like, thank you. There's no paying back or anything. It's just like, thank you, and then you just are in a good space. So you think about how these two ways to live work out. So the entitlement way to live is when I think God owes me. When I think God owes me something, I feel entitled to a pain-free life. I become resentful when things don't go my way. You know, I have a bitter indignation of having been treated unfairly. But in the alternate way to live, the Jesus way, this way he's inviting us into, is that when I remember all of life is a gift of grace, it's then that I become able to be grateful with a supernatural strength that does not come from myself, but that too is a gift from God. And here's where I think it's a little bit different than just the A.J. Jacobs, you know, approaching gratitude as a pure, like, experiential thing that's good in his life and is good in our lives. But when you add that participation in gratitude with God and thankfulness to God, God energizes that to even something greater than what it is just on its own. You know, pain, pain is inevitable. But how I respond to pain is my choice. And gratitude is a place where we foster a way of being that sees everything as a gift. This morning, I want to look at the story of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. When you hear that, the prodigal son, you think of just the one son, the one son who runs off and squanders everything. But in the story, there's actually two sons. Two sons who both have huge entitlement issues. The younger son, you know, he is like in complete disobedience to the father. And so that is the separation, the alienation. But for the older son, he too is separated from the father. He's alienated from his father because he has done everything right and now he has this entitlement that thinks he should get something. 
So I want you to listen to this story, think about entitlement, and I also want you to have this picture, this Rembrandt painting of this story, and to be thinking about it. And hopefully you can see in there, there's the father with his hands on the younger son, there's a couple of friends or people standing off to the side, but in the shadows in the back is the eldest son. So search that out, think about that painting, and think about the entitlement of these brothers as I read. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and then there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Oh, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf and because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Both brothers have entitlement issues. I mean, the younger brother might be more clear that he felt entitled to his estate and his inheritance before the father died. And he had the audacity to ask for it. 
Isn't it interesting? We get his full story. We get the full story that he gets the money and he goes off and he squanders it. And then entitlement is gone because no one would give him anything anymore. And he was now at the bottom, willing to go back to the father. But the older brother, he was entitled too. He felt an entitlement for working hard, for earning, for deserving. So much harder for him to come to realize his own entitlement. Isn't it interesting that we don't get the end of his story? He is left outside with the father pleading for him to come in. And he has to make the choice to let go and to go in. Have you ever sensed your own elder brotherness in you, where resentment is boiling up? How do you flip the script from resentment to gratitude? I think there's three steps we can talk about today to admit resentment, relinquish control, and recognize the gift. So first, to admit resentment. Each of us knows anger, and anger is real. And many times, anger is founded on just causes that you've been hurt, somebody has wronged you. But here's what often happens. We don't like these negative emotions, so we push the anger down. It's kind of like you have a beach ball, and you're trying to push it underwater and keep it down and not let it pop back up. You know, in this unattended anger inside, as it builds, it's just like this constant swelling of negative feelings that soon takes over our interior. And it usurps my ability to love others and to relate to others because this anger is inside. You know, at one point it is a hot anger. But over time, as you push it down, it grows into a cold bitterness. A cold bitterness that just settles down into the innermost being of my heart and soul. And over time, that becomes my reality. It becomes the way of being that I'm in. So first step, we have to admit that resentment. We have to admit that we have resentment because we cannot be healed from that which we are denying. First admit and then second, to relinquish control. Here's what Henry Nouwen wrote on this topic. He said, love your enemies. Before we go on, we have to say, love your enemies. Those enemies are the people who hurt you, the person who disappointed you, the person who did not meet your expectations. That is your enemy in resentment. So love your enemies is tough love. And it is a path of our return from the corrosion of resentment to the joy of gratitude. Relinquishing the need to control and dominate family members, colleagues, and friends is the way, the truth, and the life that Jesus speaks about. Jesus lovingly challenges us, saying, give up shaping and controlling events and people and be willing to be girded and led. Both brothers needed to relinquish control. You know, that younger brother, control was just taken away from him as he lost his resources. 
Now he's feeding the pigs and wishing someone would give him something. But all was taken away from him. He was at the bottom. Easy for him to turn from that place and go back to the father. But the older brother also needed to relinquish control. This like morality that if I do this, I should earn that. And this like measuring and figuring it all out. You know, this older brother needed to let go of his holding on to resentment. Let go of mulling over his entitlements that he had earned and rightfully earned. He had to let go of stewing on the gift not being given. He had to let go of his work equaling something to earn and instead to move toward the Father and to make that choice. It's the way of life that God is also inviting us into in letting go, flipping the script to embrace gratitude. Third, we need to recognize the gift. You know, each week here, we come to the communion table. Fancy word for communion is Eucharist. And Eucharist simply means the good gift or the good grace. So you, good, and charis, grace. Eucharist. And when we come to the table, it is a place where we recognize the gift that God has given and we receive it and take it in. It's this place on Sundays that we recenter ourselves around the good gift of grace that God has given. You know, when we come to the table, we bring our whole selves. And sometimes we're going to bring joy to the table. But sometimes we're going to bring resentment. Sometimes we're going to bring this need for home or a need for forgiveness. You bring whatever you need to the table. And to be recentered in that, to hand over what you need to hand over to God and to receive back from him what you need for that day. So at the table in Eucharist, we admit resentment, we relinquish control, and we recognize the gift that all of life is. We are not entitled. God doesn't owe us anything. We are recipients of this great gift. Jesus is God's good gift given for the healing of the world. And the way in which that healing happens is not by fixing physical problems or solving your stuff or taking the pain away. The way Jesus heals is through a broken body and blood poured out. He heals by restoring us to God and the way of life that he invites us into. So we can receive because Jesus gave. And now we are invited to give ourselves as a Eucharist life, to live this life of giving. The Eucharist life, the way that God invites us into, is a life of gratitude. Eucharist life follows this pattern. Jesus took the bread, he blessed the bread, broke the bread, and gave the bread for the healing of the world. That follows the same pattern of Jesus' life, that Jesus himself was taken, he was blessed, broken, and given. 
And so when we come to the Eucharist table, that is what we remember in the symbols, is the breaking of the bread and the pouring of the wine. Would you say these four words out loud with me three times? Just as a way to like ingrain this thought into you today. Ready? One, two, three. Taken, blessed, broken, given. Taken, blessed, broken, given. Taken, blessed, broken, given. You know, we want the blessing, but we don't want the breaking. We want the blessing of a good job. We don't want the breaking of unemployment or the pain of an inconvenient job. We want the beginning of birth, but we don't want the ending of death. And we want marriage, but we don't want the struggle. We want the inspiration, but we don't want the depression. We want the light, but we don't want the dark. Taken, blessed, broken, given. This is the Jesus way. The Jesus way is not the power of positive thinking. It's not the American dream with a few verses bumper stickered on it. The Jesus way is this Eucharist way to be taken, to be blessed, to be broken, to be given for the healing of the world. And that breaking is never easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus. The breaking will always involve the pleading desperation of, if there's any way for this cup to be taken away from me, may it be taken away. But not my will, but yours be done. The breaking will always involve, the, in the darkness, the crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The breaking is inevitable. Pain is universal. No one escapes it. But the difference lies in my response to that inevitable pain. You know, breaking is inevitable, but my response is not. I get to choose. And in that, that's the power to enter into the life that God invites us into, to choose to respond, not with resentment, but with gratitude. And when we respond with gratitude, this is the doorway into God's joy. God invites us into the Jesus way, into this Eucharist life, to see everything as a gift, be grateful, and live out from that place with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of life that we are all enjoying this moment. Help us to even savor right now the fact that we can breathe in and we can breathe out. And that is a gift from you. Help us savor the hundreds and thousands of things that go right. And help us to hand over to you, in gratitude, anything that goes wrong. And God, make us people who are people of restoration. When something is broken, that we would pour out to participate with you in making it right. 
By your grace we go. Amen.